Hi, I'm Costas Canaris. I'm a consultant in paediatric intensive care medicine at Cambridge University NHS Foundation Trust. And today I'm going to talk to you about uh, stabilising a child with sepsis. The intention is to make you manage this patient from home uh, by me giving you a number of clinical details and, um, and observations. So Charlotte is a six-year-old girl born at 25 weeks. Uh, she has diplegic cerebral palsy, but is cognitively entirely normal and goes to mainstream schooling. She is still peg-fed uh, due to some swallowing difficulties and she presents to your emergency department having been brought in from home via ambulance following 24 hours of diarrhea, vomiting and a high-grade temperature as reported by the family. I would like you now to have a look at her initial sets of vitals. This is within minutes of her being brought into the emergency department uh, and the venous gas is done before any active management had been done. So pretty much from the get-go and I would like you to write down what your initial steps would be. I'll give you 15 seconds to go through everything and think of a plan. So hopefully by now you will have spotted how high her heart rate is, how reasonably um, relatively low her blood pressure is in relation to her age. Remember she's six, how hypoxic she is. This is a child without any uh, chlorine lung disease or long-term lung issues despite her prematurity. She's very febrile and she's got a very low GCS with a prolonged capillary refill type. Her gas shows a significant metabolic acidosis and she's already hypoglycemic. Her potassium is also on the high side as, it, as is her sodium. So hopefully by now you have decided to give her some uh, fluid. You need to ascertain if the heart rate is sinus tachycardia or not and we will go into how you do that in due course. Um, and you would have put some oxygen on and give it, got some access and uh, start some antibiotics. So within 15 minutes of, of giving fluid, she received 40 mLs per kilo in total of a balanced solution. Balanced solutions is the new research guidelines um, for managing children in shock and you have to give them in 10 mLs per kilo aliquots. Uh, you have made a dent in her heart rate, so is no longer above 200, a very slight dent in improving her blood pressure. The oxygen improved her SATs. Uh, she's still very febrile, her GCS is no better, but you notice that her gas is getting much worse. You've also given some dextrose um, to improve her blood sugar, uh, but that's only managed to go up to 2.9. She's even more lactemic with a much higher base excess. So now you need to decide what your management plan is from home. So much like in your clinical lives, you now have to uh, approach this patient systematically in an A, B, C, D, E fashion, and you will decide the trajectory that this patient takes depending on what you answer in the next five questions 
which will be related to airway, breathing, circulation, disability and exposure management. In order to uh, join into the poll, which is anonymized, please scan this QR code using your uh, mobile devices or type in slido.com and use that code to get to the five questions that we will use for this session. Uh, remember, these are anonymized, so no one will know what you have answered. You now have one minute to decide what your best airway plan is based on those choices. Okay, so uh, let's break down the uh, number of choices you have. So the first choice would be to intubate with propofol and saxamethonium using an uncuffed tube. This is probably the most wrong out of the four choices. Uh, propofol is known to be a potent vasodilator and you have a child already in warm shock that is vasodilated. So if you intubate using propofol, especially if you do not, do not resuscitate the child adequately in advance, then there's every possibility that the child will arrest on induction. So use drugs that are the least cardiovascularly unstable in these situations. And really what the experts do more and more is use ketamine and rocuronium. Um, ketamine at one milligram per kilo dose and rocuronium also at one milligram per kilo dose. The doses sound reasonably small but that is because shock is its own anesthetic so a child in a shocked state needs a lot less sedation uh, in order to be adequately sedated and anesthetized to be paralyzed in preparation for intubation. Okay. The second choice, the choice of paralysis is saxamethonium on, uh, on the first answer. Now one of the known side effects of saxamethonium is uh, causing a hyperkalemic surge. This child clearly has sepsis. We haven't clarified the source of the sepsis yet. Um, therefore, has a degree of probably uh, acute kidney injury already. Saxamethonium administration to a child with a potassium of um, point Eight, which is what the latest gas has shown in this child, is likely to push this child into dangerous hyperkalemic levels and may precipitate an arrhythmic or a VF arrest. The next choice on in the first answer is an uncuffed tube. Now, this child has sepsis and we know for a fact that children with sepsis get a lot of vascular leak, a lot of capillary leak, and therefore are at increased chance of having pulmonary edema. This makes ventilation better 
uh, harder, sorry. So your best choice of tube would be a cuffed tube. If you use an uncuffed tube first, it is likely that uh, you will need much higher ventilatory pressures and might need to change the tube again. And that in itself is a patient safety issue because you have an unstable child, which is hard to ventilate, is likely to need anotropes and you want to change the tube to make things better. And changing that tube is a high risk procedure. So make your first tube the best tube. The second choice uh, is less wrong. We've gone through why propofol and sucks are wrong choices, but the cuff tube would be correct. The third choice is partly correct. So we would use ketamine and rocuronium, which have a very narrow side effect profile and are more cardiovascularly stable agents to use uh, in very sick children, but the uncuffed tube would be wrong. And similarly, the final choice obviously is the correct one. So you have another minute to decide the breathing plan. Those who have not done any critical care or any retrieval before uh, may be slightly disadvantaged, but it is important to understand the principles behind what we do, why we do, and why we do it in very sick children. Okay, so hopefully by now you would have made your choice. Um, and I can tell you that correct answer would be the first answer and I will justify it. So we know we have a child with sepsis that will need lots of fluid and is likely to have pulmonary edema. We need good oxygenation in order to be able to stabilize a child. Hypercarpia is secondary, no child dies from becoming hypercarbic, not least if they're invasively ventilated. So oxygenation is our priority. Oxygenation is most efficient um, if the PEEP is high, not least if you have a, a lungs that are affected by ARDS, which are full of fluid. So you need a high PEEP to cause the alveoli to be more stretched. This makes the alveolar membrane thinner, which then makes the oxygen transfer in, from the transalveolar membrane into the vasculature more efficient. Similarly, you need a high inspiratory time. Most of the oxygenation happens during the inspiration. Therefore, the longer you inspire, the longer your alveoli are stretched, therefore the more efficient your oxygenation is. Obviously, this child is very hypoxic already, which in itself is highly suggestive of sepsis. Therefore, you would start on a FiO2 of 100% uh, until you get a gauge of how um, much oxygen you need. If you go into the realms of hyperoxia, it's equally important to back off uh, and titrate uh, the oxygen levels because too much oxygen is also bad in terms of acute lung injury. 
this child uh, is, sepsi is septic, that may or may not have uh, an acute abdomen as a cause of its sepsis. It might have uh, ileus as well, which would cause abdominal distension. That would mean that there's a degree of diaphragmatic splinting coming from the intra-abdominal cavity as it is. So pressures of 15 of, over 5 are not going to cut the mustard. You're not going to get enough tidal volumes to push that diaphragm down enough to give you enough um, uh, ventilatory requirements uh, and enough uh, tidal volumes that you need for effective ventilation. Therefore, going with a high PIP and a high PEEP strategy is probably what's initially needed um, for these patients. The respirate, almost always, with the exception of children with severe bronchospasm um, or air trapping, needs to be matched to the age, therefore is 18, uh, and the eye time is to be on the higher side uh, if you're that hypoxic. So the key in this situation is to know the illness, to beat the illness. The more you see these children and the more you manage very sick children with ARDS, um, the more you will be able to plan ahead in terms of what problems is this illness going to throw at me, at the patient, and how do I beat it. So pulmonary edema is a big problem in children with ARDS. Therefore, we need a high PEEP strategy and a high eye time strategy in the beginning. Okay, so this now brings us to circulation. You have one minute to answer uh, the following question to see what your plan is in terms of managing this child's circulation. Okay, so your time is up. So I can tell you the best answer out of that lot is the second answer. Uh, so I will break it down. So initially, we need to give more fluid. Um, now, the new research guidelines state that we need to give the fluid in 10 mLs per kilo aliquots. And it's important to do dynamic monitoring whilst we give the fluid. So what I mean by that is we don't delegate the giving of the fluid to a member of the usually the nursing team and we walk away whilst we do other things. We either take ownership and give that 10 mLs per kilo whilst watching at what the heart rate and blood pressure are doing in real time and you need to have your blood pressure cuff cycling every one minute at this junction uh, to get real time feedback unless you have an arterial line in situ. Uh, and then if the child needs more because there's been a good response uh, and a good rise in blood pressure or a good drop in heart rate um, then you know in real terms whether what you're doing is working or not. Now there's also been a shift by the research guideline uh, from using saline uh, not least because the high chloride content in saline 
will render this child hyperchloremic, thereby making the acidosis even worse. And we know for a fact that inotropes do not work very well on the myocardium in a very acidotic state. So ideally the pH needs to be more than 7 and on a child with a pH of 6.7 already or 6.8 uh, giving chloride is a bad idea. So you need to give a balanced solution uh, which is plasmalite or Hartmann's. Some might say why don't we Hartmann's and plasmalite have potassium in uh, and this child is hyperkalemic, is that safe to do? The answer is absolutely yes uh, because uh, both plasmalite and Hartmann's are base in nature, so they can use as a buffer and they can push the pH up. We know acidotic states uh, make hyperkalemia worse, whereas bases make hyperkalemia better because they can uh, draw potassium from the extracellular space to the intracellular space. And also the content of potassium in plasmalite and Hartmann's is much less than that of uh, that uh, the potassium concentration in your hyperkalemic patient. So you can never make uh, a solution more uh, concentrated by giving a more dilute solution. So it's entirely safe to bolus plasmalite enhardments in a child with hyperkalemia. Um, have a low threshold of uh, thinking and giving blood products. Now again, this is where knowing the illness to beat the illness comes into play. This child is uh, septic, they will have uh, a coagulopathy, so you are likely to need FFP um, and blood in order to resuscitate them. You're going to give lots of fluid, which then would hemodilute them. So you need to target the hemoglobin to be ideally more than 100 to improve the um, uh, oxygen carrying capacity of this child as well. So make it make any volume you give as useful as you can. So have a low threshold about giving blood and blood products. Now, we also know that this child is in warm shock. Um, now, I would say at this junction that don't get too hung up about inotropic choices. If you're stuck and not don't know what to give, adrenaline is almost always a right first choice. Um, in some parts of the UK, uh, dopamine is still preferred. The evidence shift is slow, slightly going away from dopamine as first choice inotrope. But if that is what you are used to, that's what you need to use until um, you adopt the more up-to-date evidence. Some inotrope and an inotrope is better than no inotrope at all. In warm shock, we know that gold standard for now is using noradrenaline first, which is a strong vasopressor, uh, then using vasopressin, and if we need a third inotrope, we automatically trigger the need for a hydrocortisone because it is then defined as, as um, um, uh, catecholamine resistant sepsis, and we know this already because this child is already hypoglycemic, so therefore they've lost the ability to have a stress response per se, and that's always a red flag in septic children. So we will certainly add hydrocortisone after we need, uh, after we pass the two inotrope mark. And then if you need a third inotrope, then probably adrenaline would be another, uh, the third good choice. Okay, but don't get too hung up on the nuances of inotropes. Uh, if you're stuck, adrenaline is almost always a first choice. And the next slide I will show you will hopefully help you consolidate this notion.
Now, uh, this is um, a useful slide. I will not dwell too much on it. I, I, su I suggest you uh, screenshot it to refer to it back. Um, so, initially, depending on what you do locally, you should add uh, start with adrenaline or dopamine, depending what you use locally. What I uh, have said earlier is that some places within the UK still use dopamine as first line. That's fine as long as you use either or. Uh, don't forget that um, lots of children can present uh, in warm shock, in which case you need uh, noradrenaline as first line and vasopressin as second line. Aim for your hemoglobin to be more than 100, so have a low threshold of thinking of blood products. Uh, if you have reached the two anotrope mark, don't forget to add hydrocortisone. And then the hidden inotrope is ionized calcium. So ionized calcium has a double whammy, it's doubly useful. Firstly, it's vital in the coagulation cascade. So if your ionized calcium, which is the useful calcium, is deplete, then your coagulation is going to be even worse. But also your myocardium will not work very well without uh, an ionized calcium of more than 1, 1.1 ish. So make sure you give calcium gluconate or calcium chloride, whichever you have, and keep rechecking the ionized calcium that comes up on your gas machine. Okay, this is different to the lab-based calcium, um, which isn't very useful in this situation. So by now, you have already given a lot of volume, uh, more than 120 mLs per kilo, combination of uh, balanced solutions and blood products. This child is already on uh, two anotropes and hydrocortisone. And uh, you notice on the x-ray that you've got uh, dilated loops of bowel um, showing on the lower aspect of the chest x-ray. And you realize that this child's abdomen is quite tense. Um, your colleagues say it's probably septic ileus, um, but you're not sure. She's obviously very unstable. Um, would you CT her abdomen? Is the question. And how would you uh, sedate her? So let's break down the various uh, answers. So my, my approach would be, obviously this child is uh, very septic and we need to do the basic neuroprotective measures because uh, with septis comes multi-organ system failure. She's already got a low GCS. So obviously we need to try and protect the brain as well as, as we can by doing the basics right, keeping uh, bringing the temperature down to less than 37. Uh, the hot spot is between 36 uh, and 37 degrees, or the sweet spot, I should say. Um, have a slightly elevated angle of 35 to 40 degrees. Um, try and keep the sugar normal. Try and high, have a high normal blood pressure if, if possible. Um, and try and keep the CO2 um, as normal carbic as, as possible, ideally between uh, 4.5 uh, and 4.8 as a PCO2. So that, those are the basic measures of neuroprotection. Uh, we talked about propofol earlier. It causes potent vasodilation. And in children, especially shock children, uh, it has a much higher association with 
a propofol infusion syndrome so I would definitely avoid it for a long-term sedation of a very septic unstable child and most colleagues would use morphine and midazolam uh, for sedation and analgesia and if we are thinking about acute abdomen morphine would be a reasonably good analgesic uh, to address that uh, whereas propofol on its own wouldn't. Uh, the question is, do we see T before we transfer her to our intensive care unit or our PICU? Could be in or uh, external hospital ITU. Um, and the answer is, hey, uh, pr I probably wouldn't see T here. So it is likely with a rising lactate despite aggressive intervention that we have a time critical abdomen in our hands and like any time critical transfers um, time is gut time is survival time is morbidity time is brain so we need to have ideally thought about leaving our unit and going to a place where they can immediately operate on her and then look after her within 60 minutes of arrival to our to our hospital this is obviously easier said than done but an abdomen uh, ct would just delay the process what this child needs is source control and a surgeon she's likely to have necrotic gut and therefore she needs to go to somewhere where they can operate on her she is six so even if you don't have um on-site picu many surgeons would be able to operate on her because she's uh, bigger in size and what she needs really is a scalpel and to have a look into her abdomen uh, if she's made stable enough so in this case I would not CT her abdomen uh, and I would try and mobilize so in terms of the correct answer I would choose the third answer as a correct answer in this situation so what is your best exposure plan um, I'll give you uh, half the time because it's an easy question uh, to decide Okay, so if we're thinking this is an acute abdomen, my best choice of antibiotic would probably be a cephalosporin and some metronidazole to cover for anaerobes. Um, if we're thinking along the lines of toxic shock syndrome, for example, in a child who's in a teenager who's retained a tampon or a child following burns injury, then uh, we would need to put adclindamycin in uh, to mop up all those uh, toxins. Uh, and if we couldn't get control of uh, of cardiovascular stability then IVIG given slowly may have a role to play in managing children with toxic shock but given that this is likely to be an acute surgical uh, pathology uh, we would need to cover uh, with KEF and MET So this is what uh, we saw when we exposed the patient about 30 minutes in to examine the abdomen when we realized it might uh, be an acute abdominal cause of the sepsis. So this shows a strangulated uh, peg site with lots of necrotic guts. So unless you expose your patient fully to examine, especially the critically ill child, you will lose uh, lots of visual cues to reach the right diagnosis. So 
if this had been picked up earlier, uh, then mobilization and time for theatre would have been probably much faster uh, and then the outcome would uh, likely to be better too. So never forget to expose your patient fully when you're examining them. So a quick summary of our uh, management thus far. Uh, we agreed that we need a cuffed chi tube to ventilate um, efficiently. We're avoiding propofol and thiopentone, both of which are potent vasodilators because the child is shocked and they're likely to send them into uh, an arrest if we use them for induction. And we will ensure that we resuscitate the patient adequately by using fluid and also anotropes uh, running through an IO or peripherally prior to intubation. We are going to use a high PEEP strategy, starting with a PEEP of 10 and titrating upwards. Um, to improve oxygenation. Similarly, we opt for a long eye time, starting with an eye time of 1.2 and titrating up to 1.5 if needed. And since we're dealing with an acute abdomen with lots of air <coughs> uh, within the gut, we may need a manual abdominal air decompression from the top or from the bottom to try and remove some air from the intra-abdominal cavity uh, to make uh, the diaphragm splint, splint less and make our ventilation easier. In terms of circulation, we are in warm shock, so the gold standard would be using noradrenaline first, vasopressing set, second, and if we need a third trope, we can use adrenaline. Once we reach the two anotrope mark, we will introduce some hydrocortisone and never forget your calcium boluses. If you need volume, make it useful volume in the form of blood products and don't make it harmful volume in the form of saline so prefer your balanced solutions uh, if we're thinking this is a time critical abdomen then there's no time for ct what this child needs is a surgeon so you don't need to ct make sure the child is adequately sedated and paralyzed um, and analgesed and mobilize asap uh, and first explore if the surgery can be done in your own hospital because that is by far the fastest way to fix the gut. And obviously in terms of antibiotics, Kef and Met would be the gold choice, gold standard in this situation. So what are my top tips in terms of uh, stabilizing a child with sepsis and mobilizing quickly? Uh, firstly, always remember to fully expose the patient for examination as you tend to miss lots of visual cues, whether this is uh, an abnormal mark in cases of um, uh, late diagnosis of no accidental injury or acute surgical abdomen or a rash that might point towards meningococcal disease. Um, if in truly time critical cases such as trauma or acute abdomens or hyperammonemias and metabolic disorders, don't wait around to do a central line on an art line. No one dies by not having an arterial line or a central line. Uh, you can stick an IO in, you can have a blood pressure cuff cycling on one or two minute cycles and that gives you more than enough information to do a safe transfer. If you're in shock, um, make sure you have some dilute adrenaline with you um, to use. So use the recess dose of adrenaline and dilute it uh, in 10 mLs uh, and then you can use it as a push in one mL aliquot. So essentially 10% of the recess dose and that can be used as a inotrope and a chronotrope to push the heart rate up if the child is peri-arrest. Source control is key. Uh, so in cases of a retained tampon uh, in children with toxic shock 
or dead gut, then the key is to remove the source of infection. So time to theatre is crucial. The faster you get the time to child to theatre, the better the outcomes. But you can't learn all these on the job purely because they're not common scenarios. So make sure you've practiced them in simulated scenarios in advance. Obviously, these are very stressful scenarios. So make sure you debrief after uh, every time you encounter this at work. Um, regardless of how well or bad you've, you felt the situation went. And I would say that probably the most important interven intervention is to keep the family in the loop. Because remember, this is a bad day at the office for you, but this is almost certainly the worst day in that family's life. So they will not remember what inotrope you used or what fluid you chose, but they will remember how you made them feel and how much in the loop you kept them during the resuscitation process. Thank you for listening to me today. Uh, if you have any questions, you can ask me the questions on Twitter. And these are my references I use for this talk. Thank you very much.